So, all right, well, let's go ahead and take your Bibles this morning and go to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Philippians 3 and verse, we're going to start, start reading verse 17. We're going to look at a couple more words today. We're going to look at the words in sample and example. And I'm just continuing, uh, kind of comparing different words in the, in our King James Bible. And uh, just kind of learning some different lessons about just interpretation, context, and all these different things. And we want to uh, be prepared for a lot of the things that people say against the King James Bible. Uh, and I think uh, hopefully these studies have been helping with that a little bit. But then also, too, I kind of want to use this to help prepare us for some foolish things people say uh, in favor, in the name of King James onlyism. Unfortunately, people often, in their zeal, you know, for a certain doctrine, they will often say some things that just don't make sense. And in, in, in the name of those things, and we've got to watch out for that kind of thing. Sometimes people who agree with us on certain doctrines say foolish things in the name of those doctrines, whether it be on eschatology or Israel or something like that. And I don't think we need to just necessarily go calling everybody out and rebuking everybody all the time. However, uh, when foolish things are said in the name of doctrines that we believe in, we ought to try to correct those things. And in the Baptist world, often foolishness just gets preached completely unchallenged, completely unchecked. And eventually, what's going to end up happening is enemies are going to correct these things and then they're going to use the fact that we were wrong in a certain area to discredit a lot of things that we teach that are right. So I think it's, you know, it's very important that we avoid a lot of these things. But uh, as we, again, as we do these different things about Bible interpretation, I think it's important too to just know these words and we'll talk about uh, the concepts behind them as well. So let's look at Philippians 3 and verse 17. It says, brethren... Be followers together of me and mark them which so walk, so as ye have us for an ensample. So that word ensample. Now that is a word that you do not hear in our modern uh, English. Nobody says ensample anymore. That is a fact. And, you know, and the uh, non King James people, they will come along and say that's an archaic word. Nobody has any idea what it means. We need to change the King James Bible. And I don't believe we need to go that far. I don't believe that's necessary to do that. I think it's better to just actually learn what the word means. And I don't think it's hard to learn what the word means. But if you go to dictionary.com and you look up in sample, it just says archaic and it has a link to the word example. And we're going to see as we go through here, I don't think you can find any difference between the word in sample and example. Now, Often what King James people do is there are places in the Bible where it uses two different words and there is a difference to those words. For example, we looked at stewardship and dispensation. They come from the Greek word, but it is very clear when we're looking at the word dispensation, it's being used in a different way than the Bible is in stewardship. It's, it's more specific. So we do have times in the Bible where there was one Greek word, but it uses different English words. And we've shown how there was very good reasons for doing that. So often what people will do 
is whenever the King James Bible uses two different words that seem to mean the same thing, they will try to attach some kind of different definition and say these are not talking about the same thing. And that's not necessarily true. Even the King James translators, you know, they said that, that was one of the things that they did is they would use multiple uh, words, you know, in, in translating a word from Greek or Hebrew. And I think that's important too because sometimes in a language, we have more than one word that we can use to explain the exact same thing. So, just because we see a different word does not mean we have to somehow, every time, come up with a new definition. If there is evidence for that, if we see in sample always being used in one way and we see example always being used in another way, then we can assume there's a difference in the word. But I can't really see anything when it comes to that. And, and so, if we don't see any difference... It's okay for us to just say means the same thing. You know, either word works just fine. And I'll say more about that later on. But if uh, in the Webster's 1828, if you look up the word in sample, it means an example, a pattern or model for imitation. Okay, and it, a pattern or model for imitation. And it uses 1 Peter 5.3, which we'll look at. And um, where it says being in samples to the flock. And, uh, and so, without a doubt, you know, there is these words are virtually the same thing. It's just an example of something to copy off of. We see in Philippians 3.17, he says, Mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Paul's saying, you can watch what we do. You can imitate what we do. We are in samples Something you can follow. How many times have you told your kids, your older children, maybe, hey, be in a good, be a good example for your younger brothers and sisters. You need to show them how to act. You need to show them how to behave. And that the way we use that word example is exactly the way in sample is used. And so, um, the ex- or, uh, in, if we look at the word example in the Webster's 1828, it says a pattern, a copy a mode, that which is proposed to be imitated. The word when applied to material things is now generally written. Sample as sample of cloth, but example is sometimes used. So, we see that it is basically the exact same thing. So, look what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3.7. So, again, the dictionary is not our final authority on something. And if we see a word in the Bible always being used one way, you know, we should understand that, okay, we could, fit, we could come up with a definition based on that. Next week, I'm planning on looking at some words too, where there is, there's a very specific way that the Bible always uses these words. And if the Bible is using those words in that way, we can come up with a definition. And if the dictionary, you know, contradicts that, then it's like, okay, well, that's not how they use that word back when the King James was translated. You know, we use the word differently today. But, you know, most of the time, we'll see that the dictionary actually lines up with the way the Bible uses that word. And so, um, I, you know, and, and I, I don't want to get into next week's lesson, but look what it says in Second Thessalonians 3, 7. It says, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. 
but not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk disorderly among you, or walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So again, we're seeing this word ensample being used exactly. He's saying we have set a pattern that others can follow. There are others who are not setting a pattern that others can follow. They're walking disorderly. They're not working at all. These, pe- these people are somebody that you should not follow. Second Peter 2.5 And spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. So, have you ever heard someone say, I'm going to make an example out of them? That's exactly what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. God made an ensample, is the word used out of them. Because what did God do with Sodom and Gomorrah? He torched the city. He burned it with fire and brimstone. And just understand, God's going to do it again. People who get, you know, places who give themselves over to these things, God set them forth as an ensample. And just remember that too, because this is New Testament. For all those who act like Leviticus 20.13, what the Old Testament says about the Sodomites was for the Old Testament dispensation. No, God used them as an example. And did you know that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, all that stuff happened before the law? That was before the law when it referred to them as sinners exceeding. I mean, they were, they were exceeding sinners. Isn't sin a transgression of the law? And you know what? Before the law... God saw Sodomites as exceeding sinners, that they, as the worst type of sinners, and God destroyed them before the law. And you know what? Nothing has ever changed when it comes to that sin. A- absolutely nothing. We're not talking about them today, but just remember, they are an ensample. Okay? An ensample. You know, what, what should we expect for Sodomites? Destruction. Why? Because God made an ensample out of the Sodomites Back in Abraham and Lot's day. And he's going to do it again in the future. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.7 so, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. In 1 Peter 5.3 we refer to this, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Okay, That's the referring to the elders in the church. They are to be an ensample. And just remember that too for people who want to put pastors on this pedestal and they expect a standard from him above everyone else. A pastor is not supposed to live a standard above everyone else. A pastor is supposed to be an ensample. He's supposed to be living a way that everybody should live. There, there's nothing special and it's not right. And it's not like this in our church and I, and I hope it never becomes this way, but it's not right in a church when everyone has an expectation for the pastor and his family that they don't have for everyone else. A pastor is called to be an ensample. So if you're holding the pastor to a higher standard than everyone else, you're being a respecter of persons and, you know, and you're out of line. Whatever you expect from the pastor, you should respect, expect from everyone else. So that word ensample 
to, if you look up the Greek definition of it, it means an uh, exhibit for imitation. Uh, so uh, it, it's a pattern, an example is the word that it used. And so now we've seen that the word example in the, defini- in the uh, dictionary and the word ensample in the dictionary basically mean the same thing. We've looked at all the uses of the word ensample. Now let's look at the uses of the word example. Because ensample clearly has. It's been a pattern for imitation. Hey, you probably, when you've started jobs somewhere before, they'll have you follow around somebody. You're supposed to watch what they do. Why? Right? They're to be an ensample for you. Hey, watch the way this guy does this job. This is the job that you're going to do. You need to do things the way he's doing it. I remember uh, when I worked at the distribution center, sometimes trainers, they would like, whoever they were training, they would have them follow around an order filler. And I always hated when it was me because you're supposed to be, they're supposed to be watching what you're doing and that's how they were supposed to do things. And so you always needed to do everything by the book. You had to do all the green zone lifting and every safety protocol and all that. And it would, it would wear you out. And it was just, it was just annoying because you had to set an example. They had these, you know, there was these specific ways you were supposed to uh, remove pallets and things that, you know, frankly was just, slowed you down was difficult but then it's like when you start following all those protocols it just seemed like it would take forever but they wanted us to be an ensample so now let's see if we're seeing any difference in how the word example is being used as we go through these passages so in john thirteen fifteen, it says for i have given you an example that ye should do as i have done to you Does that sound like a pattern for imitation right there? Jesus said, I've given you an example. The word here is being used exactly the same way we've seen the word ensample used in the Bible. And it's It's okay for us to just admit that there are multiple words that can mean the exact same thing. Synonyms are a real thing. Sometimes, sometimes they're close, but they're not identical. Sometimes... They are identical. And it is. We, and I think we ought to be very careful. And, 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 and you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I do not support changing any word in our King James Bible. I, do not, I don't do that. The fact that we have an established text that has been tried and uh, tested and it has passed every test is enough for me to say, I'm, I'm not changing a thing. It just in case... There is the tiniest sliver of difference between those two words, and I'm just not seeing it. But at the same time, I'm not seeing it. And it's okay for us to just accept the fact that, you know what, sometimes we have two words that mean the same thing. And so, uh, look at 1 Corinthians 10.6. 1 Corinthians 10.6 says, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, is they also lusted. And so this is referring back to Israel when they were in, when God brought them across the Red Sea and they were in the wilderness. And we see all the times of temptation that they had. Now think about it. We actually have two examples in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 10, it refers to um, those who came out of Egypt to whom God was not well pleased. And what happened? We, they went through the wilderness. They got tempted with, you know, where they were demanding food, where they were demanding water, they were tempting God, and God was not well pleased with them. 
But we also have another example or another example, and that's Jesus Christ. After his baptism, and he goes in the wilderness, and he gets tempted in all points, like as we, referring to Israel, was, yet without sin. So God gave us two examples. God gave us an example of those who give in to temptation, and God gave us an example of one who did not give in to temptation. And, we, and you know what we ought to do? We ought to look at that bad example and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. But not only do we know what not to do, we also know what to do where we can follow Jesus Christ. And you know what Jesus did for every temptation? One, he just flat out obeyed. But he also, he also quoted Scripture every time too. He always combated the devil with Scripture. And good luck, you know, handling temptation, doing the right thing without Scripture. It's so important that we have the Word of God in our heart. What did David say? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And a lot of, a lot of well-meaning, well-intending Christians today, they think that you know, they, ha- they have every desire in their heart to do the right thing and to please God, but they don't know the Word of God very well. If you don't know the Word of God, you are, no matter how great your intentions are, you are going to mess up all the time. Even Jesus quoted Scripture to help him combat the temptations of the devil. So, just no matter what, you can be the greatest natured person in the world, you know, next only to Jesus Christ. And if you don't know scriptures, you will mess up all the time. And you can know scripture and still mess up, but you're, you definitely, knowing scripture is always going to give you a great advantage. And so, we have, we have the positive example, we have the negative example. Um, Look at, uh, look at verse 11. Okay, so in verse 6, he says, Now these things were written for our examples, so we would know what not to do. In verse 11, he said, Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So in this one passage right here, Paul, you, you know, we see example and ensample used. And it's talking about the same thing. Throughout there, this is just more evidence too. There, there's, there's absolutely no difference that I can see between these two words. And so, um, and so again, for sure, all of the Old Testament is something that we. It is completely appropriate for us to go back and to glean principles from those things. We we do not uh, just act like it does not apply. But at the same time, too, we also understand that we glean principles from them. We're not going to go back and read the Old Testament and start slaughtering lambs. Because the Old... And you say, well, why is that? You just don't... You, so you obviously throw out the Old Testament. No, we don't throw out the Old Testament because the Old Testament said that when that prophet like Moses comes, for us to listen to him. And so we see where Jesus Christ put an end to those things. So we actually are obeying the Old Testament when we don't sacrifice lambs. So if anybody tries to tell you you're a dispensationalist because you don't believe in sacrificing animals. Absolutely not. We're still not a dispensationalist. No, I'm, I'm obeying the law of Moses when I don't sacrifice animals because he gave instructions to follow Christ and to do whatever he said and there was a curse on those who would not follow after him. So never let anybody trip you up with that foolish gotcha statement that they like to make. But 1 Timothy 4.12 
says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word. You ought to be saying the right thing about how a Christian should live in conversation. It should be your testimony. Not only should you be saying the right thing about how a Christian should live, other people should be saying, this is the way that person lives. In charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So we ought to be an example of a believer in every one of these areas. And um, God, I believe God wants that from all of us. I believe 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle. But if Timothy as a pastor is supposed to be this way, and if a pastor is an example to the flock, guess what? We should apply this to every Christian in here. Every one of you in here, you ought to strive to be the kind of Christian that everyone else should be. And uh, if you remember a sermon I preached not that long ago, do you know what that makes you? Does it, see if anybody remembers. What, what title... What term does the Bible use to describe a person who is an example of a believer, if you're a man? Anybody remember? It's man of God. Okay. I like to refer to pastors as the man of God. And a pastor should be a man of God. But often they're taking that, making us like a prophet of the Old Testament, which we are not. But the way the term man of God is used in the New Testament is if you are someone who is an example for others, then you are a man of God. So you don't have to be a pastor to be a man of God. If, if you're somebody that we can point to and say, hey, follow their example, that means you're a man of God right there. And so just like when people would follow me around to watch how they were supposed to work you know, at the factory, obviously... Somebody thought this would be a good person for them to watch. You know, I used to be a trainer years ago when I was at the other distribution center. And when I would do things like that, there were certain people I knew not to have the workers go watch. I'd be like, you know, you know, you know, don't follow this guy's example. If you follow his example, you will get in trouble. You will get written up regularly. So you typically, you know, you tell them, you know, hey, this guy, you know, he's good at his job. He's good at what he does. And so... Uh, you know, this is this is a good example. And so that's really how we use the term man of God today. And if we use it the way the Bible does in the New Testament, a man of God is an example and an example. If you're somebody that we can point to and say, follow his lead. If you want to know how to be a husband, follow this guy. If you want to know how to be a father, follow this guy. That's what a man of God is. Not just somebody who has the title of pastor. There are many pastors who are not men of God. And there are many men of God who are not pastors. So never forget that. But they are examples. And everybody ought to try to be an example. Uh, Hebrews 4.11. And ladies, if you are a good example of a wife and a mother, you know what? You're a woman of God. And, and that, that's a good thing. Uh, but Hebrews 4.11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And so here in Hebrews... You know, while they're trying to get all of the Jews to leave the things of the old covenant and to follow Christ into the new covenant, he's pointing them back to Israel's mistake when they came out of the wilderness. And he's trying to make sure that they, they learn from that bad example and that they don't make the same mistake. So again, being an example, uh, you know, it, or being an example, it can be used positively or negatively. 
Okay, you know, e- either way, it's a pattern that we're supposed to learn from. Okay, we're supposed to learn from it. And so Hebrews 8, 5 says, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. So that the, the temple, the things of the old covenant, they were, they were examples. They were a pattern that people were supposed to learn from. Okay? And that doesn't mean, too, something being an example or an example, it doesn't mean an exact copy, by the way. It's just something that we are supposed to learn from. If somebody says, you know what, I think you ought to be, in a, you know, you ought to follow Pastor Tommy as an example, that doesn't mean you have to wear all the same clothes I do, get the same hairdo I do, and try to make yourself look like me, try to talk exactly like me. You know, that would just be weird. It's just, no, here's a pattern. You know, don't be, I, don't be identical. That's just weird. Okay? But, you know what? Learn from him. You know, learn from his example. Take certain things. Apply it. And that, that's how we see that word being used. James 5.10 says, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Okay? That's, that's important too that we look back and we see, man, those prophets, they suffered. You know, but you know what? They also did the right thing. And that helps us understand, you know what? If I'm going to be obedient to God, I might have to suffer. And that's important that we realize that too because a lot of Christians, whenever they start suffering, they think, what's going on? I didn't know things were supposed to be this way. You know, I thought suffering, tribulation was the wrath of God because I went to a pre-trib church. And you know, what? what's going on? It's like, no, look at how it was in the Bible. Look at how it was for the prophets. Look how it was throughout Christian history, the way people have suffered, but also look at how they did the right thing in spite of all these challenges that they faced and let that be an example. And when you do, when you go and you're looking at the Scriptures and you're seeing, man, these people faced persecution, they were lied about, they had all these things going on, it will help you prepare yourself and understand, I might have to go through some of these things too. And it will, I believe, strengthen you and prepare you. It says in 1 Peter 2.21, for even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And then Jude one seven, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so notice in Jude it uses Sodom and Gomorrah as an example. In 2 Peter 2, where it's covering almost exactly the same thing, using the same examples, it was 2 Peter 2, it used Sodom and Gomorrah as an example. So, folks, without a doubt, these words are being used exactly the same. I can't find any difference in how these two words are used in our King James Bible. I can't. So, what are we to conclude from all of this, because if somebody gets up, you know, if some slick talking, intelligent sounding, you know, guy gets up and he basically shows you how, man, example and example, it means the exact same thing. Let's change our King James Bible because nobody knows what example means. Well, again, just because most people don't know something, why can't people learn? Why are we not? Why is it 
in our society that is getting dumbed down like nobody's business. I mean, you see these man on the street things they do where people don't know the first thing about history. They know, they know absolutely nothing. We went to a thing about the, uh, we went to a battle place uh, where they fought in the War of 1812. I mean, you can ask people, when was the War of 1812 fought? And they can't tell you what year it was. I mean, that, that, literally, is, that literally is a thing. And, and yet, we are told that you know, because society's dumb and they cannot just read this and immediately the first time get everything, that we need to change King James Bible. What do they want us to do? Start putting emojis in place of the text? Because that's probably what you need to communicate to these halfwits that are out there. But no, the reality is people just, you know what? They're going to need to expand their vocabulary. If we continue dumbing down the language, if we continue you know, removing words, changing words, it will get dumbed down. Our language is not improving. Our language is getting dumbed down. And I am 100% convinced that if we were to continually modernize our King James Bible to fit the society today, I think it would get dumbed down so much that we would, we would lose meaning. It would quickly lose meaning. And, and, I've, and, and there's examples of that I've seen too, even with um, one of the words that people like to use that you know, nobody knows the meaning of it, but commendeth. You know, but God commendeth His love toward us. And if you look at the words that they want to replace it with, it does not have near as specific of a meaning as commendeth does. And I'm not going to get into all that. There are many examples like that where in our King James Bible, it uses words that we don't use that often today, but it is very clear. If you go back and you look at the definition of those words, it's much more specific than the words they're trying to replace it with today. And if we did, if we replaced it with a word that more people know, we would lose meaning as a result of that. So I'm telling you, uh, you know, it, watch out for people who will state a true fact and then jump to a false conclusion with it. And that's what's happening. They will point out there are synonyms in the Bible. And some of the words that the Bible uses in our King James, you know, most people don't know. That's a true fact. But then they jump to the false conclusion of saying, so we need to change the Bible. No. How about we educate people a little bit? Hey, what about people who don't know how to read? You know, what does that mean? We got to find, you know, we need to start doing a cave, you know, caveman translation or something like that, you know, where we just... It's all grunts, a series of grunts and, you know, hand gestures. I don't know. It's like, no, at some point people have to learn. At some point people need to educate themselves a little bit. But sometimes in a language, we can have more than one word to express, I believe, the exact same thought. And and so we should not always assume that choice of a different word means a different thought. We don't have to try to find a way to force one in there. We should stay focused on how the word was used. And when we look at our King James Bible, if, if there, if, and if you can show me, maybe I'm missing something. Okay. And again, I don't want to change. And I don't want to get rid of in sample from the King James Bible. You know, I almost think it's, I almost think it's a better word in some ways, just because like, you know, we all know what a sample is too. And it's, it just, I don't know, it just, it makes sense. But, um, either way, we need to stay focused on how the word was used. And I see these words being used exactly the same way. The fact, too, that more than one word can be used to express the same thought 
does not mean we should feel free to mess with the established text. That is, again, just jumping to a crazy conclusion. Because where is it going to stop, too? You know, where is it going to stop? If we, that's the thing, too. If we give these people one word, do you think they're going to stop? Absolutely not. They're, they're going to keep going. Yeah, I don't like that word either. Yeah, you know, in Acts, that sends a wrong message when it says, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Because that word doesn't fit with our theology. And so they're going to want to change it to the grave or something like that. And that would, that would change the meaning if they did that. And so that, I, I'm telling you, I don't trust these people at all. I don't want to change one word when we have an established proven text. But I also, I continue to believe because we have that proven established text that we should leave it alone and let it be the standard. It should be the standard for everything. And the reality is, KJV-only people should not be freaked out by the idea of synonyms when we do find them. Because of the fact, too, every word, did you know that every word in our Bible, except for maybe hallelujah, I think, is a synonym of the original? You all understand that? Okay, we, we know that God didn't speak in English. I just learned a new conspiracy this week that English comes from Anglo-Saxon, anglo and it was called English, English, it's the language of angels. Yeah. I don't know what to do with these people, but yeah, no, I I do not believe that English. First off, if English is a language of angels, why do we have so many weird things in our language? And it's one of the hardest languages to learn. You know, it's just, there's so much dumb stuff in the English language. You know, just like the whole thing with moose and mooses and uh, you know, if you, you've seen all those things before where they're trying to show, you know, you have goose, geese, moose, not meese, moose, you know, just stuff like that it, that just confuses everybody. But, uh, yeah, don't, don't fall for that. I'm surprised the Ruckmanites haven't got a hold of that one. The English is a language of angels. But, again, the, we, we have a rightful fear of a new translation because we simply can't trust are modern scholars. They have proven, the modern scholars have proven to be inferior to the King James translators. They, without a doubt, are inferior. They are unreliable. They will say that the ESV and the NIV are good translations. They lost all credibility right there. You know, when, when, they, when they try to tell us that they're virtually all saying the same thing, they just lost all credibility right there. They're not. They absolutely are not saying the same thing. And so go, to go as far as claiming an update would cause a text, though, to cease being the Word of God means that we really can't translate the Bible into any new language. Because, you know, where do you draw the line? What if there's another language that's close to English? You know, it's like we can't translate. No, I, I believe we can still we translate the Bible. Because, again, every word is a synonym. But one thing about language that everyone recognizes that even within well-established languages like Hebrew and English, that one can often identify a specific period something was written based on how the language is being used. And I I don't have time to go into some examples, but um, for example, in Hebrew, in Hezekiah's tunnel, one of the ways they were able to date that is they found a, a carved inscription hanging on, on the wall in there 
that the the writing, the way the writing was, and the way the language was, they were able to date it to, you know, the period of time uh, when Hezekiah uh, was king. And we see the same thing in history all the time. Even you know, you can tell there's a difference in reading English books that were written in the 1800s than in the 1900s. We often do uh, date ourselves with how we use language, and so. Um, we're gonna. These things constantly change. There's a slang from the 70s. There's, you know, there's slang from the 80s. You know, and it, every decade these things change. And so I do. I believe we have a great standard here with the King James, and, and that's why we shouldn't change one single word. And so, with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for your word. I pray, uh, Lord, as we try to understand just the Bible and how to interpret things, Lord, I pray that most of all people learn. Uh, from these verses about being an example and an example. And I pray that we will do that. I pray that this church will be one that has many uh, men and women of God in it who will uh, live a life that others can uh, follow after and succeed as a result. In your name we pray. Amen.